Nurse Guzer News for the week of October 15th, 2018, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hartman-Baker. Today's guest is Katie Antipas. Katie is the Division Deputy and Data Department Head at NERSC. After college, a stint as a substitute teacher steered her in the direction of a much easier career, computer science. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rebecca, for having me. All right, so Katie, today's topic is super facilities. So let's start off with just what is a super facility? What's a super facility? That's a, that's a good question and one we get asked a lot. You know, when we think about it, a super facility is really a network of connected facilities, software, and expertise that enables new modes of discovery. But let's break that down. You know, what do we really mean? For NERSC, it means that users could, from experimental facilities such as light sources or genomic sequencing centers can seamlessly and easily analyze their data, you know, here at NERSC. Okay, and so we do have some users who are already doing that. We've had that for a while, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, NERSC has been around for over 40 years now. NERSC has been helping to support data analysis from the LHC particle colliders for, you know, decades, in fact. But what we're seeing now is really, I would say, a, a paradigm shift in the users who are coming to us from different science domains. So we have users from different light sources around the country that want to analyze their data at NERSC. We have users from genomic sequencing facilities such as the JGI and their data is all being analyzed here at NERSC. And so you can ask like, you know, what's changed? Why are these users now coming to NERSC? And, and you know, a key reason is that the rates of detectors are becoming faster. The resolution of, of, of cameras or sequencers are becoming a um, much higher rate. And so the data that these experimental facilities are producing are just really overwhelming the experimental facilities at which they are generated. Oh, okay. So this is a very different thing from simulation, right? I mean, the, the workflows, their needs are quite different. There, there can really be some big differences in the way that a user who's doing large-scale simulation to model their requirements compared to someone who is analyzing data from uh, an experimental facility. And you're right, a lot of it comes down to, to the workflow. So users from experimental facilities, let's take a, a light source like over at uh, LCLS across the bay at, down at Slack. They will need to send their data across a wide area network. Their data will be transferred over the ES network and will need to be ingested quickly into the NERSC supercomputers and data storage facilities here. And so, you know, that brings up a number of challenges. First of all, you've got to have a good connection between these two facilities, and we're real fortunate that we have ESNet that is connecting the DOE um, laboratories. So that part, you know, we've been able to I would say manage pretty well. The challenge that we had was when you hit the, the nurse supercomputer and historically the ability to ingest data into one of these supercomputers was pretty limited because not a lot of people were doing it. And so we have worked with our primary supercomputing vendor Cray to enable data to be ingested into the supercomputer at a much higher rate than it had been uh, historically. And that enables large uh, streams of data from the outside world to uh, come to NERSC. You know, the other challenge that, 
users from experimental facilities face is they, they often need results pretty quickly. Now, of course, every every user wants their uh, job to run quickly. Absolutely. Right? Right? You know, I mean, it's one of the um, biggest issues we hear about from nurse users. It's what we get the most questions about. But when you look at the requirements, if someone has beamline time for only a couple of days or maybe only a single day, they really need the results quickly if they're using that analysis in order to change uh, their sample or their, or their experiment. And so what we've done at NERSC is um, change some of our scheduling policies to enable fast feedback, you know, near real-time access for users that need it. So that's, that's one other thing we're, we've done. You know, I think another key challenge, certainly that all users face, is they want their I.O. to be faster. Now, this is not limited to users from experimental facilities, but it is ex exasperated by, by these users who oftentimes have a large amount of data that they need to read from a file system. And so slow I.O. can really, well, slow them down. Yeah. And on our NERSC 8 system, named Cori, our, our flagship system at NERSC now, one thing that we deployed was a burst buffer, which was a, a layer of uh, non-volatile flash technology that sits between memory and spinning disk and acts as an I.O. accelerator. You know, one thing we're really excited about NERSC 9 that's coming in, in 2020 is that we'll have an all-flash file system. So this will continue to accelerate I.O. IO performance for, for all users and especially those analyzing data from experimental facilities. Okay. So it sounds like it kind of requires like a cross-disciplinary team of people to really get this thing working. Because I heard you talk about networking, so we need our nurse networking experts talk about I.O. We need our I.O. experts. It takes a whole, all of nurse basically to help people to get this stuff going. Well, it really does. And I think, you know, I, I'm the head of the data department, but certainly the data department doesn't do this, this work alone. It does take every single group at, at NERSC in order to make these workflows run successfully. And, and one of the reasons is that, you know, we ask our users when they apply for for time here at NERSC, you know, is the key purpose of your project to analyze experimental data or combined experimental data and modeling um, or to develop tools for analyzing experimental data? And nearly 40% of our users say yes. And so that means it's, it's a huge and growing part of our workload that has these requirements. And so, you know, some of the, there's a number of key challenges that remain. and we're going to need all of NERSC, every group, in order to move this initiative forward. Yeah. So I suppose there's still some unsolved mysteries out there that we haven't solved for the for this type of workflows. That's right. You know, we do have users from experimental facilities running at NERSC. I think if you talk to a number of them, they wouldn't say it was easy. And our goal needs for it to be both really high performing and seamless for these users. Currently, it can take sort of her Herculean efforts in order to connect an experimental facility to NERSC. It can take dedicated staff to get uh, a workflow up and running. And our goal is to enable many facilities 
to connect to NERSC and reuse some of the same infrastructure. But there's still, I mean, there's still a lot of challenges. And so why don't I just name a, a few of them? You know, right now, a lot of the analysis codes coming from users at experimental facilities aren't necessarily optimized for um, next generation HPC architectures. So they might be single core or single threaded applications and certainly in order for those users to be able to get the most out of NERSC and to be able to get the, the highest performance, their codes are going to need to be adapted to these next generation exascale architectures. Fortunately, we have a, a program here at NERSC called, called NISAP, the NERSC Exascale Science Application Program. Uh, and so we partner with different application teams and help them get their codes ready for NERSC 8 and NERSC, and NERSC 9. And we've um, committed to choosing at least um, about a third to a half of the applications that come from the data space. So that's one uh, real key challenge. I think another challenge is really that once the data gets to NERSC, it can be really hard to search and filter and find. And um, so the user who sent the data to NERSC knows where it is. But for anyone else who might want to reuse that data or search the data or compare the experimental results to you know, a new experiment has a really hard time finding related data or even that data again. And one of the reasons for that is that you know, we don't have storage systems that enable metadata to be tracked from the experimental facility all the way through kind of the storage hierarchies uh, at NERSC. And so we really are lacking the ability to have data provenance and search, right? You know, imagine that there's a user from the APS that wants to analyze or look at data that was created from the advanced light source here, here at Berkeley Lab. There is, is virtually no way for that user to be able to find um, similar data. And it becomes this one-off human, um, lots of human effort required in order to, to make that work. So that's something I think we really need to, to make progress on. You know, there's a number of other challenges. One is that the data created at um, experimental facilities like, like these light sources or genomic sequencers can be so great that, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense to, to send all of the data to nurse to be to be analyzed. And so, you know, we also need to look at next generation technologies that could provide fast filtering at the experimental facility sites. So, I mean, these could be, you know, FPGAs or a small cluster of um, processors that can do a quick analysis to throw away the the noisy data or to do a quick analysis and then only send certain data to nurse to be analyzed. And, and certainly some facilities are already doing this today, but new facilities like the National Center for Electron Microscopy here at Berkeley Lab, they're just looking into that now. And, and certainly we need a lot more research into um, uh, new algorithms for filtering data, analyzing data, reducing data, than we do today. You know, certainly machine learning has come to the scientific community, but it's really 
only being used by a handful of projects now and you know I expect that uh, our capabilities and our users capabilities in this area will only grow. Okay well in addition there's going to have to be some changes on the policy side of things right? I think so you know it's I think it will come maybe sooner than we expect and you can already see some issues forming now and just think, NERSC is a highly utilized facility. You have a large number of simulation jobs that are running on the system, and uh, you know a, a workflow comes from an experimental facility that needs fast access. So, who goes first, right? You know who has the priority, and that's something that we need to work out and talk with our users users about. Talk with our DOE allocation and managers and sponsors. So that, that will certainly be one challenge, and of course every community is going to have their own, own opinions on that. You know, I think we also need to look at the, how highly utilized uh, these systems are and find ways where we can keep the systems highly utilized but still allow for some of these real-time workflows to come in. Users, of course, want their jobs to start immediately, whereas you know, if, probably if you're a funder, you want to see the, the system as highly utilized uh, as possible. And those two, there's some tension in between those, those two priorities. You know, I think we probably will also need to start thinking more deeply about the concept of, of who, who is really a user. If you're a user at the Advanced Light Source and, uh, here at Berkeley Lab and your data is sent through a web portal to be analyzed on the nurse systems and you know you 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 push a button through a website are you a full nurse user or are you a, a user of the ALS who you know has access to NERSC and so what are the implications for for the vetting that we do of users for the federated identity so that users don't have a different uh, username and, and password for every single facility or compute resource that they're a part of. You know, those are going to be difficult and challenging. Whenever you, you know, start talking about security policies, trust, identity management, those will probably take a little while to shake out. But I think for the benefit of our, our users and for science productivity, those are hard discussions that, that we really need to have. Yeah, for sure. I look forward to having those and then uh, reporting the results back to our users. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, switching gears a little bit, Katie, how did you go from uh, undecided career, maybe, as a substitute teacher, uh, to division deputy and data department head at NERSC? Yeah. Seems like a big leap. Well, I had, I had a few career detours. So. Um, I was an undergraduate at, at Wellesley College, and I studied um, physics and astronomy. And I, I happened to graduate during the dot-com boom in, in 1999, when you know you could get a job at a, at a startup or a consulting firm if you could answer like a, a brain teaser. They were hiring undergrads left and right. So I, I guess I, ha I answered a brain teaser correctly, and I started working at a high-tech and telecom consulting firm. And I worked there for two years, and you know, I enjoyed uh, many aspects of it, but I, I really miss the connection to science. We were mostly doing, um, you know, economic uh, con consulting. But one experience I, I did enjoy was I, I built a lot of the financial models, and I was exposed to more of the programming and, and coding. And 
you know, I had only taken one class of computer science in, as an undergraduate uh, my senior year, which, you know, it's your senior year, you don't have enough time to, to change your major at that point. But I really loved it. And then my experience in the consulting firm, you know, building these economic models sort of cemented my, 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 my love for computer science. So in, in the, the period where I was applying to graduate schools, I did, I did um, substitute teaching which is actually the hardest thing I've ever done. And mm -hmm. it gave me so much more respect uh, for teachers. I, mean, I would come home every, every day at, uh, at three o'clock when I was substitute teaching and I'd just be completely exhausted and wonder how um, uh, <laughs> teachers <laughs> even can even do that. So yes, I, f I went into computer science, which I find honestly a lot, a lot e easier than, uh, <laughs> than teaching. So then fr from there, uh, I, I worked on a large-scale astrophysics code at the University of Chicago where I did my master's degree in computer science. And it was there that I ran on supercomputing centers like NERSC. I don't think I ever ran at NERSC, but I ran at uh, supercomputers at Los Alamos and Livermore. And so after being in the Chicago winters for a couple of years, I. Um, was looking for jobs closer to home, back here in the Bay Area, and when I saw an opening at NERSC, I, I applied for it, and uh, I've been here for 12 years ever since. Wow, all right. Well, that's great. All right, so finishing up, three things that you want NERSC users to know. I think the first is that, you know, we are here to help. It is our mission to support your science and to support the mission of the um, Department of Energy Office of Science. So if something's not working for you, you know, just ask us. We will change our policies and our configurations based on user feedback. We've done it before, we'll do it again. You know, we take users' input extremely seriously. And so I just encourage them that, you know, if, if you're stuck on something, just ask us, because if you're stuck, there's probably other users who are too, and um, your feedback can only make us better. So uh, one thing users should know is I think our website does have a trove of, of treasures and information. So it is worth uh, reading the website or digging around a little bit, because there's examples and case studies and you know, every possible way you could submit a job. There's even scripts that help you submit a job. And so I think NERSC has really become a, a documentation a, a hub for the HPC community, and that's really a tribute to, um, you know, the staff who work here and want to help users is that they put up a lot of information. So yeah, that's encourage That's a true that. fact, actually. So yeah. when I worked in Australia, when in doubt, we went to the NERSC website to find out stuff. And I actually, I've Heard that Crate also uses our website to find out more about their about their systems. <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. And then I think finally, just we we welcome um, users' feedback, and we want to hear about your science highlights as well. You know, the staff here are incredibly motivated by the amazing science that our users do, and so I would um, invite you to to send us your highlights or come and give us a talk. You know, when you're you're being woken up in the middle of the night uh, to to fix a system or look at a, a storage error, it can be really motivating to uh, hear about the, the science. And so I would encourage all users to, um, to keep communicating with us on that front. All right, well, those are all three great things. So thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. Great, thanks, Rebecca.